Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius Podcast Series. I have uh, Daniel Griffin. He had an eclectic background. Uh, he does many things. He's an author, associate research scientist, and instructor in clinical medicine. He has his own uh, company. Um, he's an expert on infectious diseases with a focus on HIV and tropical medicine. So, uh, Daniel, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about your background, because you mentioned offline there's at least three main initiatives that you're involved in. So what are they? Yeah, I wear I wear a lot of hats. Um, I like to think of myself primarily as a physician, um, but I guess physician, scientist, um, educator. Um, but I'm at Columbia University, where I do um, teaching, clinical medical instructor, but I also have an active research lab. Um, I work I work with Stephen Goff, who's a uh, Howard Hughes-funded um, researcher, but I'm also the chief of infectious disease at ProHealth. Um, I'm the president of a not-for-profit, Parasites Without Borders, um, and I do a lot of clinical medicine in the States as well as um, a bit overseas. Okay. And what's uh, in the world of, uh, well, what's your current focus of the projects you're working on? What is uh, most interesting to you that we can talk about? Yeah, you know, you you had mentioned offline before we started speaking that you had at one point spoken with um, Peter Hotez, um, who's uh, a pretty prominent figure in global health and tropical medicine. And I think the area that um, has gotten me the most fired up, the most passionate about is um, all these, we call them tropical or parasitic or neglected diseases, um, ranging from all the different helminths and protozoal diseases um, that we see outside the country, but actually that we see quite often in the country. So you mentioned so helmets, some... meaning, uh, meaning worms, but what are, so in the U.S., I mean, are there any common parasitic infections or infectious diseases that uh, usually are in the tropics? Like, what would you focus on here? You know, it's, uh, it's very interesting when you practice in New York City. I just got back from teaching at University of Glasgow in Scotland, and I was teaching for their, um, they have a diploma in tropical medicine and uh, hygiene class. And I, I do a series of lectures. And one of the lectures I do is um, the idea of New York City as the center, of the, the center of the developing world, where people come really from everywhere to, to New York City as a plane flight away. So within 24 hours, they've gone from wherever they are to New York City. Um, mm. And I had an interesting experience a few years back when I was, um, I was working in an HIV clinic. And I asked one of the patients who I saw was from Nigeria. And I said, oh, gosh, when was the last time you were back in Nigeria? And they looked at me a little funny. They said, you know what, Dr. Griffin, I live in Nigeria. I just come here every three months to see you. And so really interesting. Um, I realized several of my patients did that. So here you are in New York City, but patients may be living somewhere else. And they're coming here periodically or they're coming here to visit and they're coming straight from West Africa, Southeast Asia, South America. Um, apparently, the Dominican Republic. There's quite a uh, 
quite a referral pattern between the Dominican Republic and New York City. Huh. I guess so there's people, uh, <clears throat> health tourism in the U.S. as well. Makes sense. Yeah, so there's there's health tourism, and there's also all the other tourism. So you know, we'll we'll be uh, we'll be working in the city, and a woman will come in with you know periodic fevers and shaking chills, and you'll do a blood smear, um, and she's got malaria because she just you know got off a plane um, from Ghana, you know, or or they'll they'll come in um, and they'll have fever and a rash, and and maybe they'll have dengue or chikungunya or during the outbreak, we saw quite a number of uh, Zika-infected pregnant women. Um, so oh. it's, it's kind of it's amazing in New York City and the surrounding areas. So in your role as a healthcare provider with these infectious diseases, are you always, I mean, you have an obligation to like alert the CDC and tally any strange infectious diseases you see? Like, this is not just like I go to the doctor, I have a cold. This is seemingly, at least to most people, very unique and I would think there might be a worry of that kind of stuff spreading. I don't know. You know, that that is an interesting concern. And there are certain diseases that um, I will say our public um, health system does a really good job of tracking. You know, we're, we're always particularly concerned about sexually transmitted diseases, uh, right? So syphilis, things like that. Um, we're also very concerned about diseases um, such as tuberculosis, which... Um, can spread. And we, we've now reached a point where the majority of cases of tuberculosis we see, which we see on a regular basis in this area, are now people that were born somewhere else, moved here, um, which is a shift from just a few years ago when it was our, our more senior um, you know, U.S. residents that would have reactivation from being young. So they're good about um, those things. Certain um, diseases are not, um, you know, not as, I should say, not, not reportable. Um, so it, it depends upon what you're seeing. Right now, we're in the midst of this coronavirus um, outbreak, yeah. and we're starting to see a few cases in the U.S. So those, you know, you're sending your testing to the CDC, so you're immediately uh, part of the whole monitoring and surveillance network. Uh, I think that's why I asked you, is because, yeah, we're talking about it. Well, so it's on my mind. That's why I was curious about it. Yeah, no, I, I, if anything, I, I wish we had a... a I will say a more robust ability to track what's going on. Um, you know, not that to violate anyone's privacy or anything, but just um, it's helpful to know what's going on um, as a healthcare provider um, so that, you know, you, you recognize it so that it doesn't go for, you know, a few weeks or there's a bunch of different cases. And I, I remember early in the HIV epidemic, there, there was some odd signal out there, but, there wasn't maybe the communication, the tracking, and so there was a little bit of a delay there. And I and I think that, you know, in this current epidemic, I think they've done, sounds like a very good job of quickly recognizing that something different was going on, figuring out what it was, and, um, and jumping right on top of it. But um, the amazing thing is, is how many of these tropical diseases, um, you know, occur every day. In fact, we probably lose a thousand people every day to malaria, so I'd say more, because we've wow. got half a million deaths a year. We, right wow. now, in um, the U.S., when we get to the height of the flu season, we see about six, we saw about 60,000 deaths last winter from the flu, which works out to about 1,000 deaths a day. Um, and I, I think it would be nice, not only if we had better recognition, but we also had a better way of letting, um, letting people know. Um, you know, it doesn't, might not make a great news story, but it might make sense for people to be aware of what's going on health-wise so they're not just getting it from you know stories that are exciting 
you know, for the media, exciting to play right, yeah. the news. Um, well, I, I, I was listening to like, uh, you know, like the John Bachelor show when they talked about the normal incidence of flu has caused thousands of deaths in the time that a few people have died from coronavirus, but everyone's freaking out about corona when the deaths are minimal compared to flu, at least so far. So it yeah. sounds like it would put yeah. things in context if people knew what the main causes of death and disease were. No, I think that's true. And I, and I know, you know, if you spoke to Peter, you probably got the appreciation that some of these diseases, like the, the helminths, the large intestinal worms, you know, we're talking about a billion or two people, you know, currently wow. suffering with this. Um, you know, you look at numbers like that and you, know, you say, well, we're in the thousands with the coronavirus, but we're in the billions with um, some of these intestinal worms. So they, they refer to the, the unholy trinity. So, um, you know, asterisk and hookworm and whipworm. And, um, you know, so it's um, I think that's what I get passionate about. There's so many urgent health issues. And it's, you know, some of it's global, but some of it's right here in the U.S., particularly the areas of the South where there's a lot of income inequity. Um, you, you may remember the story when there was a North Korean soldier who defected and he came across and, and then they found that he had a bunch of intestinal worms and they said, oh my gosh, what horrible conditions, you know, this gentleman has. And I was like, oh, did he escape from North Korea or, you know, Alabama where some of our you know, <laughs> own citizens are heavily infected like this? You know, really? So it's amazing that we were about North Korea, but what about our own people? Um, so, yeah, I get, I get passionate so what, about the inequities, I think, and how many people suffer, um, you know. So, all right, so what's your focus? Are you doing any research or is it all clinical work and, you know, so regardless, I do, so I what's do your a focus? Yeah, yeah, I do a combination. So I am active doing research. I've got, um, there's just a paper recently published on malaria and birds, and there's another paper right now, hopefully under final review, at um, the virology journal, but I have to—I I probably spend a lot, an inordinate amount of time on um, on education, um, and so that the concept of the parasites without borders is that you can go out there as an individual and you can take care of X number of patients a day, um, but if you can educate others, um, particularly other clinicians, um, sort of this exponential potential. Um, so if people are aware of all these different infections and, and clinicians are aware of how to recognize, diagnose, treat them, and intervene, um, I see that as having a tremendous potential to make a difference. So um, a few years ago, I got together with actually Peter Hotez, uh, Dixon de Pommier, Charles um, Knirsch, Robert Guads, and a textbook that had sort of fallen um, out of print and been printed for a while we actually resurrected it, and now the last two editions, there's over 40,000 copies that have distributed throughout the world, and a lot of these um, hardcover copies to areas of the world with this limited internet access, with this limited access to education. Um, mm. And I have to say that that, that makes me really optimistic um, that we're getting this education out there into the hands, we like to say, getting knowledge to the people in places that need it the most. So, okay. Um, when it comes to education now, what's where's the misinformation or the lack of education? What is it like? What does your curriculum look like? Yeah, what does it look yeah, like? Yeah, so um, yeah, we have two sort of two main focuses that um, where we've been, and and one is the um, we we I guess updated this um, parasitic diseases textbook. Um, there's a sixth now, a seventh edition. And so from the parasitic diseases, the, the whole textbook is really evidence-based. 
um, thousands of references, really looking at, you know, I, I know sometimes science and evidence gets a bad rap these days, <laughs> but, you know, these are, you know, therapies that have been looked at and effective and um, can really make a difference. Um, you know, because you do worry, and I worry, in the area of parasitic diseases, people get quite desperate at times. And there's a lot of people ready to take advantage of that desperation and offer therapies for people with or without parasites that may or may not work. And so we're we're trying to um, get the actual information, the science, the what are these organisms, how do you understand them, and then understanding them, what, what actually works and makes a difference. And we have um, distributed that textbook, as mentioned, to thousands. Um, and actually, over 100 countries throughout the world now have had hardcover copies sent to medical schools, individual clinicians. And we coupled that with actually an online video series. So uh, Dixon Day Pamier and I created a, um, a video series. It's free, distributed throughout the world, where if you, you learn better in that format, instead of reading a chapter, you can just sit there and listen and learn, learn all about whatever parasite, you know, each chapter um, has its own video associated with it. And right, then so in the U.S., which, which parasites are the most, should be the most concerned to people? And what, what, how do people get them? Yeah, so um, a lot of the parasites, the big, the big parasites still in the world, uh, one of the top three killers is, um, is malaria. And that's killing um, about half, you know, about, yeah, about half a million um, kids, mainly kids, about half a million kids per year um, die of malaria. And, um, you know, which is, which is huge. It's up there. Tuberculosis, HIV, and malaria are still the top three killers throughout the world. Um, and I think a lot of people only worry about it, you know, oh, I'm going to take a trip to Africa, but they don't necessarily worry about uh, the impact that has. The other that I mentioned um, maybe not so much a killer, but a cause of tremendous amounts of disability are these intestinal worms. Um, and then a big one, actually, schistosomiasis, which people are swimming in fresh water, and uh, they're actually getting this parasite invading through the skin and then causing scarring of the liver and protuberant bellies. And, and, then, and I should always mention, though we're really making some progress, this is the disease that my son is most afraid of. He's 14. But this is what happens when your dad is a parasitologist. You get bitten by a mosquito. You get infected by this filarial worm, which then um, the adults live in the lymphatics, and it causes scarring. And not only can you get your legs, the elephantiasis, but your scrotum can become often so large that it requires a wheelbarrow to transport it around. Yeah. So, so after meeting um, Jimmy Carter a couple of years ago, I went to this exhibit that the Carter Center had set up um, in New York, and I took my son, and, you know, I guess to this day, <laughs> that's one of his fears is after he saw all these photographs. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, you can imagine in these countries, you know, having a, a malady like that. I mean, how do you, you know, how do you go about your life? Well, so going back first, you said the top three killers are still HIV, tuberculosis, and malaria. Um, if you live in the U.S., for instance, and, you know, one of these things happens to you, how treatable are they? You know, that, that is a big thing. If you have the resources, um, I will say very treatable. So malaria in the United States, properly diagnosed, properly treated, you should, you should be able to cure people almost 100% of the time. Um, tuberculosis, again, if it's approached correctly, um, you know, I would say the vast majority will, will have drug regimens that are available um, and people will get better. We are starting to 
have an issue with multi-drug and actually XDR, so very multi-drug resistant tuberculosis. And that, that in a few cases is something that we really have trouble treating, but usually not. And then HIV, you know, it's interesting. In the United States, we should be able to do a tremendous job. And in areas of Africa, I'll use Botswana as an example, they have this 90-90-90 approach where they say, we want 90% of the people who are infected to, to know their status. We want 90% of them to be on medication. And we want 90% of those people to have their virus completely suppressed and have the disease under control. In the United States, particularly in parts of the New York area, we're in the 70% of people even are aware of the infection. And then we don't do great with getting them on medicine, and we don't always do great at having them under control. I, I, I hate to say it, Botswana does better on all three counts. And in the United States, we have over a million people infected with HIV, and people seem to be talking about, you know, the epidemic being over. And I over a million people infected with HIV, uh, 40, 50,000 new cases every year in the U.S. alone. I'm not sure that the epidemic is over. So we should be able to yeah, do better was, than we actually do. I was about to say that. Like, I haven't really heard much about HIV. I just, I guess in my mind, not knowing, I assume, oh, okay, you know, now there's ways to, to treat it so you can live with it forever and it's no big deal. But it sounds like it still is a very big deal. What's, what is the state of the art with treatment if you do have AIDS? Um, how treatable is it? And you just have to live with it for the rest of your life or what's, what's the, you know, the state of the art? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, there, there was an isolated, um, we call the German patient where there was actually a cure. It's a very sort of complicated story, but in general for the 30 to 40 million people infected with HIV, um, it's lifelong, um, suppressive therapy with, um, usually a three medicine regimen. And nowadays, a lot of times these three medicines can be in a single tablet um, that you take once a day. They're usually quite well tolerated. Um, so tremendous. You know, I grew up in Greenwich Village, and I will say that um, it has just been a dramatic transformation. Because when I, when I was a kid in Greenwich Village, um, it was a death sentence. And it was a death sentence very quickly in a matter of, you know, a couple years. And this has been a tremendous the amount of progress we've made. But, you know, we're, we're not quite there yet. Okay. Um, yeah, when I go to, I about... should jump in, I go to some of the areas in Africa, um, so eastern Uganda, where I was in the fall, um, areas like that, it had been as high as 20% of the population was infected. Now it's down to 10%, which is one decreasing transmission. And number two is a lot of people died. So, uh, you know, right. progress, well, for, you know, depending on how you Yeah, so these three top killers, malaria, tuberculosis, and AIDS, um, which countries are, you know, I guess the worst shape in terms of uh, addressing the problems? And what's the toll that, that it's taking? Yeah, the, the area of the world where it's all concentrated is um, sub-Saharan Africa, actually. And um, in a lot of those areas, it's really been devastating um, to the people and, and the economy. And then the people, again, because of the devastation to the economy. So, um, you know, we see malaria in Southeast Asia. We see tuberculosis in Southeast Asia. That would be sort of the second um, highest incidence. Um, and there are certain areas, I'll say, in um, South America. This, the, there's an area outside of Lima, which has um, not only tuberculosis, but really high drug resistance rates of tuberculosis. Um, Haiti has a lot of issues with tuberculosis and HIV. And that's a place I think that Paul Farmer uh, has 
has done a lot, has made a big investment in. Hmm. Okay. And then uh, we talked about the three top killers, but you said parasitic worms um, in the U.S. Are there, like you said, even in people in Alabama, for instance, may have problems with that. Where would uh, we have um, contact with worms and how would we get parasites here, for instance, in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we talk about what kills you and sometimes there are things, you know, worse than death and it's years and years of suffering and disability. And a lot of our parasitic diseases, they won't necessarily kill you, but they will disable you. They'll make you unable to work. They'll, they'll cause suffering and pain. And um, the southern part of the U.S., um, actually probably the reason why Washington is where it is, was it was we had malaria in the whole south of the U.S. We got rid of malaria. But then we also had a lot of hookworm and ascaris, these intestinal worms, and it's improved in the bigger cities. It's improved really, I would say, through hygiene and toilets and things like that. But there's still areas um, in the southern U.S. There's areas, we'll say, up in West Virginia, um, areas where poverty is still at the point um, where people don't have shoes, where people don't actually have adequate sanitation. Um, and because of that, um, there was actually a, it was a New York Times article about a year or two back where they, um, they covered a community in um, Alabama where they looked at what was the incidence of these intestinal worms in this community. And a third of the people were infected. You know, here we are in the United States, where people, you know, they, they own private planes and drive around in fancy cars. And yet parts of our country, because of the lack of um, infrastructure and sanitation, um, are still suffering with these diseases and not even necessarily being recognized and treated. Hmm. So, so there was, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. What, what, what do you think would be the, um, I mean, how can we make an impact here? How are you making an impact? Yeah. Um, so one of the things is to increase awareness. I, my hope is that people, people hear about this and they say, Oh, this, this can't be true. And they look at it and say, Oh my gosh, this shouldn't be true. And then um, they're willing to sort of do the next step. You know, what can I do about uh, getting the word out and letting people know and, and making sure this doesn't happen in our, in our country? And um, so we're doing it in, I think, an awareness campaign more than anything, letting people know that this is a problem, letting clinicians know that these neglected peoples are throughout the world, but even here in the United States, um, and then trying to get it to that next level where something is, is done about it. Well, again, what are what are some things that people could do to help themselves? Yeah, well, one of the one of the first things is you know, like we talked about with HIV, people like, oh, I think this is over; we don't have to worry about it. So there, there are a lot of people certainly say who think they have parasites who don't, but there are people who are you know in these areas of our country where they feel tired and they don't have the energy to go to work, and and they they may actually end up having an infection. So it's uh, you know, go to see the doctor and let them know. You know, I don't feel right and I feel tired and. You know, and maybe I have diarrhea or whatever it might be and getting diagnosed. And, and unfortunately, I see people that have been bouncing around to multiple um, clinicians and then you finally come to me and I'm like, OK, well, let's do the proper testing. Let's see if you have it. And then, you know, finally making the diagnosis and treating them. But I'd like to see more more people aware and I'd like to see more clinicians aware that even in the United States, we have parasitic diseases that can be recognized, treated, cured, and then people can, you know, move forward with their lives. Well, what are some of the parasitic diseases that look like what doctors may say, oh, that's fibromyalgia, or oh, that's idiopathic, yeah. we don't know, or, you know, it seems, it seem, my feeling is maybe some of these are similar to other stuff, and that's why they, you know, doctors assume, oh, no one's going to have that here in the U.S., so they don't bother to test. Yeah, you know, one of the, yeah, one of the, one of the things that I 
see quite often, I feel sort of bad about this, is um, we still have a fair amount of uh, scabies in the United States. And I feel like mm. it comes and goes. Like we, we see a bit of it, it gets recognized, people get treated. Um, and we had a, a young lady, I'll say she's in her 20s. I, I like to think that's still young. Um, I like to think that's very young as I get farther from my 20s. And uh, she, had, she had woken up with this horrible rash over her whole body. And uh, she was supposed to actually be working a weekend job, but she calls, I can't do this. I have this horrible rash. And so she goes to the first doctor and they say, oh, you're allergic to something. And they, they give her some medicine, goes next doctor. They give her steroids. They you got to see an allergist. They do this workup where they're like poking her with all the needles. And a thousand dollars later, she finally goes back to her primary care doc. And her primary care doc looks at her hands and says, oh, my gosh, what is what are these things between your, you know, the webbing of your fingers. And she basically had scabies burrows between the, um, the webbings of her fingers. And that, that's when I got the call. And uh, she basically, she had scabies. So take this, what is take that? this medicine. Um, so what scabies is, is it's actually, it's a, we call it an ectoparasite. It's a, it's an arthropod that actually burrows into your skin and you get it from another person. So it's transmitted person to person. And um, in the U.S., the manifestation is usually these burrows between the fingers. Sometimes you can end up with an itchy scalp and you have an immune response to basically this insect, which is burrowing into your fingers. Um, and that was the whole rash. And in some of these areas where I go in, say, in Panama, where I go every March, when they first went to these communities, this organization, Floating Doctors, 20% um, of the people were heavily infested with this ectoparasite. It's crazy. The, the mothers come in besides themselves, beside themselves. It's like, I just can't handle this. You know, it's hard enough to have a kid, right, when you have, like, modern conveniences. But here in these little villages, no running water, no electricity, just barely getting by. And you can't sleep at night because your kids are all just scratching because they're covered in ectoparasites. Huh. And now we go back as a success. And, you know, you see a clinic, you see 100 people a day, you might see a couple with uh, scabies but we see that no, here in the u.s and people seem to just not not recognize it until you know they finally come to someone who does who pays attention so that's yeah. a bad one i will um well, what, what do you uh, if someone has a problem where they think they have a parasite or something wrong like what kind of doctor should they go see like what are you called what do you describe that uh, yeah you yeah, you would want to see an infectious disease um, specialist. Hopefully, you want to see someone who's had training in uh, tropical medicine um, because some of these parasites are not covered in the standard curriculum, which, again, is our educational effort. We're trying to uh, get information out there to doctors that might not have gotten it in their um, formal training you know, while they're studying molecular biology and all the personalized medicine. And, um, you know, it, this is personalized medicine, too. That woman certainly needed that medicine. And I think to find, you know, people sort of, how do I find someone who has that extra training, not just infectious disease? Right. But there's a, there's a large organization, I think it's the largest one in the world, the American Society of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene, so ASTMNH.org. And they actually have a listing of um, sort of those of us that have, in addition to medical training, gone on and gotten um, tropical medicine training, actually gone through and, you know, rigorous examination um, and, you know, shown that we have expertise above kind of the common things that you might say. Okay. And what's the best way for people to find out more about you specifically 
and your work and the organizations you're part of? Yeah, probably the probably the best thing is to go to um, the www.parasiteswithoutborders.com, and that has a lot of um, information. And it has gives you access to the parasitic disease textbook. Also gives you access again for free to the um, uh, limited resource medical handbook, and then access to all the lectures on parasites, all the lectures on um, all the different diseases that might be managed in limited resource settings, and also a bunch of other fun books about measles and you know other contagious diseases that people might be interested in. And we and Very I guess good. we have a podcast too, right? So this week in parasitism, part of the microbe uh, TV empire. Okay. Interesting. I didn't even know that. This week in parasitism. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. With over, <laughs> over 2 million downloads. So. Wow. All right. I'm not sure why that many people want to listen, but apparently people like parasites. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Daniel, thank you for coming. And I'm glad that uh, you and, and, you know, people like Peter Hotez, et cetera, are working and caring about this stuff that, you know, maybe in the U.S. it doesn't affect as many people, but worldwide it's it's a huge, terrible toll on humanity. So thank you for what you do, and I appreciate you being here. No, well, thank, thank you for uh, having me on the, the podcast. Hopefully this will help, again, get the word out, get people aware of um, these challenges. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com.